1: Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We have an awesome guest, Andreas Antonopoulos. Welcome.
2: Hey, Andreas. Glad to be here.
1: Yeah, if people don't know who you are, they they, they obviously are brand new to Bitcoin. That's good. Yeah, I mean, we we were brainstorming a little bit just to kind of shoot the bull. figured I'd start just with an old story. I remember uh, Greg Maxwell and I kind of locked some horns like, what, five years ago now. And I guess that was kind of the genesis for you to create that Bitcoin Press Center and get talking about Bitcoin and really start evangelizing it. What have you seen change, like, over these five years in terms of Bitcoin's publicity, like your own invitation from different institutions and organizations? I mean, maybe you can just talk a little bit about that.
2: I think we've been... Astonishingly successful, like if you told me a few years back, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell everybody that it's all about the blockchain. Then we're going to get all of the banks in the world to create these giant consortia and invest hundreds of millions of dollars into our technology, training developers for us, who will work for the banks until they get bored, which will probably only take three months, and then we'll leave the banks and start working on the interesting stuff, which is Bitcoin. I said, no way, that's never going to (laughs) work. That's so Machiavellian. How could you, like, that's evil genius level marketing. How could you possibly persuade banks that the best thing that they can do is play on our turf with our technology, like with the technology of this community that we're part of, and yet that's exactly what's happened. You can't go to a banking conference without half the conversations being about Satoshi Nakamoto's invention.
1: Right. And,
2: yeah. and th- if, you, if you told me that three years ago, I'd, I'd think you're crazy. I mean, that's how could we possibly get them to switch tunes, like complete co-options? <laughs> banks didn't co-opt Bitcoin. Bitcoin co-opted the banks. And and that's astonishing to me. And, And sure, they're playing this tune that blockchain is good, Bitcoin is bad. But that's because, for the most part, they're trying to make distinctions that don't exist. They're trying to have their cake and eat it too. They're trying to implement private blockchains, which is a bit like saying private internet. It's an oxymoron. But what they're doing is they're training people. And also, they're pushing this idea that blockchain is superior technology and eventually people kind of figure out that yes and that's bitcoin it's
1: well they're going to have to go with the scalable secure liquid blockchain
2: yes and the open borderless censorship resistant neutral blockchain so there's more than
1: one now so innovation can happen
2: Uh, yeah it's it's all happening and i i'm amazed at how far we've come uh the number of wallets the quality of the interfaces the number of exchanges the liquidity that's available, the fact that the SEC is in its third round of deciding whether they should move forward with an exchange-traded fund, and that's one of five possible proposals for exchange-traded funds around the world that are moving forward now, that institutional money is coming in, that at the same time, a global currency crisis has erupted full-blown, and it's only feeding Bitcoin at every turn yeah, isn't it great? <laughs> um, so, you know, I I see this, really this astonishing level of success so far with this technology. And I, I'm i sure we have a very long way to go, a lot of maturing to do. We have a lot of design and improvement to do, but, but, you know, so far it's been just crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, looking at some of the metrics and, you know, those of us who are kind of, in charge of Bitcoin's PR if anybody can be right you know like you myself Roger Bear some of us early evangelists between page views and, and YouTube views and downloads and all this stuff I, I was counting it up like about a hundred millions total of these like total metrics yeah I mean just my own videos have had in excess of 10 million views Mm -hmm. Um, and I know yours have just been tremendously successful also what do you think we need to do to help with Bitcoin's brand or do you think we've been pretty successful with shifting things over to this kind of blockchain uh, discussion
2: you know quite honestly I think the the brand issue fixes itself And it fixes itself because as Bitcoin becomes more mainstream, it starts reflecting more and more of the views and culture of mainstream. And if you've heard on the news that Bitcoin is only used by drug dealers, and then you meet a dentist who uses Bitcoin, and then a week later you meet a hairdresser, who uses Bitcoin. And then a week later, you meet a taxi driver who uses Bitcoin. You're gonna draw one of two conclusions. One, your entire country is now infiltrated by drug dealers. Or two, the media was lying, <laughs> and normal people use Bitcoin. And and that once that bubble bursts, you know. And, that, and that's just in countries where the media can really push this narrative. But there's we're, plenty we're, of countries where, like we are here in Argentina, nobody buys that narrative nobody trusts the banks nobody trusts the government they're in a honeymoon period with their new government now because it hasn't yet erupted in scandal but give it time
1: <laughs> every 10 years yeah. their, their currency and, likes to go
2: poof <laughs> and, and you know there's nothing that will teach you to really uh, pay attention and appreciate reality like 42% compound inflation rates
1: oh my goodness and, it's and absurd
2: it's, your government can say we have no inflation all day long <laughs> <laughs> at 42 percent they can't really hide it so yeah. so the thing is that in the end, all of this media, all of focusing on the sensationalist dramatic stories about criminals using Bitcoin, it, it's a mirage and it's it's an unsustainable mirage in the face of reality and that reality has two sides one side, is Bitcoin becoming more and more useful to more and more people. And at the same time, national currencies becoming more and more fragile for more and more people. Uh, Those two create this massive cognitive dissonance. And at some point, it only damages the reputation of the people who spread these stories.
1: Yeah, so, you know, the fiat currencies, the banks, they're definitely uh, having lots of trouble. Deutsche Bank, uh, just to point out the big one. But let's focus on Bitcoin. The block reward uh, went from 25 to 12.5. Right, which initiated... Uh, so the, now the uh, inflation rate is like below 5%, right? And initiated right. part of this... What the what were you going to say? Initiated the... Well, it's
2: initiated the death spiral. You remember that? Like for the two months before the halving everybody was talking about the death spiral. Oh, so we're going to run out of hash power. Or the whatever. hash power is going to collapse. Yeah, then yeah. The block times are going to get too long. Then everybody's going to turn off the hash power because it's not profitable happened. and then the death spiral <laughs> will happen. And nothing happens. Just uh, like the previous time the block reward happened. Right. You know, we were around then. Yes, but no this, problem. Time, this time it was a $10 billion experiment yeah. and it worked exactly as planned seven years in advance. That's a that's pretty astonishing. Like, if you were in a bank, unless and you, you were trying...
1: Underst- unless you realize that, like, the Austrian economics that undergirded a lot of the design of Bitcoin.
2: Yes. Work. Yeah, I mean, but of course it worked. Trying to design a system that is this robust uh, is is a huge project. And yet, Bitcoin really delivers in terms of robustness. Yeah, um, well, Just simply being up. Well, and making that heartbeat every 10 minutes for seven years without interruption, never skipping a beat, that's a remarkable achievement. That's
1: huge uptime. Right. You know? I mean, phenomenal. Yeah, I was talking with Dr. Adam Back about this, like, because when he designed the DigiCash and he'd been involved in, you know, trying to design digital and virtual currencies for decades and one of the big issues he ran into was the monetary inflation issue and so he found it very clever what satoshi had done with bitcoin and now we're seeing it play out and the inflation rate is now at what like 4.9 percent or something right. and like and that dropping. which is less than all but 20 currencies in the world and it's dropping what do you see happening with bitcoin over the next three to five years
2: well i think that one of the stories that's been playing out is that Bitcoin's monetary policy is wrong. Bitcoin's monetary policy is the old gold reserve and can never work in a modern world where you need to be able to expand the supply of money to meet the size of the economy, which, you know, may have been true when you couldn't email gold, but now you can. May have been true when you couldn't subdivide gold into um, eight decimal points, but now you can. And may it be true when you had the ability to create artificial supply in every other aspect of currency. So deflation was this horrific demand collapse scenario where the economy is dying, right? Like we've seen the Japanese deflation phenomenon for 20 years. Yeah, a
1: permanent depression.
2: Right. Bitcoin is forging new ground, And what's interesting about this is that you can say that Bitcoin's monetary policy is wrong or right, and it doesn't really matter. Um, the market
1: doesn't care. The
2: market doesn't Look at doesn't the price. Appear. Right. The bottom line is that people have a choice. If they want what Bitcoin has to offer, they'll use it. Nobody's forced to use it. It's an entirely voluntary opt-in system. And that's the beauty of it. If you want it and it's useful to people, people will use it and it will continue to exist. If they don't, if we're wrong, nobody loses because, you know, the people who got into it, got into it voluntarily. And so from that perspective, I love the fact that we have all of these different monetary systems in many different cryptocurrencies even that everybody can try out. Yeah, there's a De- Fry coin with Demerage Right. And- you want Austrian economics? You want Bernanke economics? You, you want, want a Yellen coin? You or- want a <laughs> coin? Have your pick. There, there's all of these choices. And what Bitcoin is all about is offering choice. I think we're beginning to see what happens... Which is very interesting when in a world where there is no system that gives you an asset that appreciates in value, a deflating asset like Bitcoin, that appreciates in value over time, that has a robust constraint on its supply, but is also extremely flexible. And extensible. And extensible. And interoperable. Programmable. Programmable. and and all of these things. Well, yeah,
1: I mean, just being able to transfer value over a communications channel is such an innovation.
2: It both is gold and is nothing like gold in any way, shape, or form. It's got all the good. It has no shape or form. No shape (laughs) or form. Exactly. It's a number. (laughs) And so we've never seen this before so to make judgments about how it's going to behave i think is extremely premature none of us know none of us can know this is the first time this has ever happened i like it, professor bitcoin it's going to be less than five dollars yes. and it was 500
1: dollars.
0: <laughs> professor
1: get, of economics at boston university like works at the fed
2: yes what an absurd joke well we get to we get to observe history as a front seat participants we get to create some of this history. you you and I we've created some of this history I, Isn't it I mean I, I, I'm mostly the observer and explainer um, <laughs> my, my role is mostly explaining to people Well, but yeah
1: but but it, we're talking about money which functions much like a language in terms of network effects and yeah. the more people that speak it the more valuable and more entrenched those network effects become and so every page view every every YouTube view every podcast mm-hmm. download is ex, is extending those network effects. Sure. I mean, because we have to we have to build the human capital of being right. able to use this new technology. I yeah. mean, that's all part of it.
2: Yeah. I mean, for me, the you've done a tremendous job thing, in doing that. The most important metric for me, honestly, is not video downloads; it's downloads of um, mastering Bitcoin, because mm-hmm. to me that has a cumulative effect. Every time that book is translated into another language, it's been translated into 14 languages oh, so far can. by yeah. volunteers for yeah. free. And it's available for free on GitHub yeah. in all of those languages. And the, the reason for that is, is to create developers, to create more developer community in more languages, in more countries who are going to create wallets and exchanges and improvements to Bitcoin and things like that. So every time come on, someone says to me, I, I, "I read your book and I started doing development in Bitcoin." That to me is the most successful thing because that has a cumulative effect. These oh, yeah. people are going to create new code that's going to improve everything. So it changes um, the world. Yeah, hopefully. So my goal from the very beginning here was to once I decided I was going to write this book was to try and educate as many developers as possible in this technology and. Because that's the stage we're at. You know, really at the moment, the the use cases are fairly limited. The primary use case is store value and speculation, which is a fantastic use case. It's It's the first network effect. It's the first network effect. And, And it's particularly important for people who live in countries where inflation is destroying their wealth on a generational level. Where, like, you will have nothing to leave your children because of central bank decisions.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Argentina being a perfect example of Venezuela. that. Venezuela being a perfect example. Oh. Venezuela is even more. Your children won't make it because you can't <laughs> feed them. It's much worse. But yeah, and, and I've experienced that in Greece too. You know, beyond that, creating infrastructure, wallets, exchanges, new applications, we still have to do a lot of basic work. And to do that basic work, it's going to take tens of thousands of developers in every country, speaking every language, localizing and translating every application, customizing every application. It's basically an army of software. And that's the thing that drives me is is helping build that.
1: I've heard you before talk about when we're dealing with like networks and server infrastructures, the master and slave relationship between different machines... Could you perhaps explain that a little bit more? Go a little bit more in depth uh, about what you mean and how that actually functions from a technological perspective, and then as applied to uh, like these cryptocurrencies and, and the role that they even play in terms of like human rights and uh,
2: and and the politicization of of these things. So we say that Bitcoin is a peer to peer system. It has a peer to peer architecture. It's not perfectly peer-to-peer. It's not perfectly decentralized, but it's much more peer-to-peer and more decentralized than almost everything else that's out there, certainly at this scale. So I was playing with these ideas and thinking about this from the perspective of computer architecture. I said, okay, well, if Bitcoin is peer-to-peer, what is the banking system? And I found it hugely ironic that in computer architectures, when you have one computer that has the ability to write new data, to change the data, and then you have another computer who can only have a copy of that data, but can't modify it in any way, and relies on the other computer to do all of the uh, verification, integrity checking, and has full authority to write the data. In our computer architecture, we call that a master-slave relationship. And I thought it was really ironic that effectively, if you translated the banking system into a computer architecture, it would resemble a master-slave architecture, and that speaks volumes (laughs) for the political relationship of power. We are not peers. We have differentiated roles. And... When you have a master-slave architecture, the most important question you have to ask is, who's the master and who's the slave?
1: Well, you want to be able to... You want the chmod privileges, yes, right? To exactly. have rewrite access and right. root access. And
2: uh, you know how that saying goes, if you don't know who the slave is in the architecture, you're the slave. <laughs> so um, that's, uh, that's basically... So I, I took that... that Idea of um, how architecture affects politics, how the architecture of computer systems affects the politics and uses of computer systems, and how we name the architectures and what insights that gives us. So, politics is not a little wordplay to dig deeper into that concept. You know, the 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 power of flattening the network is enormous. Right? It has far-reaching implications in the way we organize society, in the ways we collaborate with each other on a global basis. This is much more than just money. This is a model of, of organizing society, a mechanism for coordinating human activity. Which started with communications with the internet, continues with money now, and is expanding into other areas of our lives with governance, with voting systems, with smart contracts, with... Um, all of the other things that people are building on top of these platforms. And so it's part of a broader story. It's this, it's this long history of our, you know, the the arc of history is long. I'm going to horribly paraphrase Martin oh, Luther no, King, but so I apologize. It bends towards
1: justice.
2: It, the arc of history is long, but it bends towards decentralization. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I actually was just at the Martin Luther King Memorial in D.C. Yes. I, what a tremendous man. Yeah,
2: One of my real But here's um, the thing. I I like the fact that decentralization is a means and the end is justice. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way you achieve justice, one of the ways you can achieve justice is through decentralization of power. By decentralizing power, you get much more quality of power. And that equality of power is justice. And so decentralization has now become the modern tool by which we are seeing the possibility of less political power, less concentration of power, less corruption in the world. Now, of course, let's not pretend that this has already happened or that it, you know, right now Bitcoin is primarily available and usable by a very, very small group in the population. You have to have high levels of education, technical capability, etc., etc., etc. But the interesting thing that's happened with decentralization technologies in the past is the fact that decentralization and digitization leads to democratisation. I remember getting my first cell phone in 1991 and it was a brick, a beast <laughs> from, from, of a cell from phone from Gordon Gecko, <laughs> right? <laughs> Something <laughs> like that. It literally was 15 pounds. The size of a large <laughs> banana. Like, it was a giant thing. crimped your neck. <laughs> right, Crimp your neck. Uh, and that was just one generation removed from the kind of suitcase car phone that you saw in the movies then. Here's the thing. When you looked at who owned cell phones in those days, it was CEOs. It was professionals. It was lawyers. It was barristers. It was doctors. It was very important I'm using funny quotes here. They're very important people, very rich people, very powerful people. But one thing I find really amusing is that today, a cell phone isn't a status symbol. In fact, the most powerful status symbol is having an assistant hold your cell phone. <laughs> if you don't actually answer your own cell phone, that is a status symbol. Somebody else is carrying it for you. And who has cell phones now? now Everyone. If you see someone with a with a Bluetooth... Right? Most likely it's a plumber, it's an electrician, it's a tradesperson who has to work with their hands and needs you know, to have access to their phone all the time. And then we saw this incredible leapfrogging event that happened throughout South America, Southeast Asia, and uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, where the impact of cellular telephony and what it did in all of these parts of the world in terms of empowering individuals has been absolutely tremendous. So I think the same thing is happening with Bitcoin and the internet and smartphones. Right now, we're seeing the environment in which the CEO has a cell phone, but that cell phone is shrinking. It's getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Right now, Bitcoin is something that... It takes a lot of technical skills, access to capital, access to technology. It's not easy to get Bitcoin or, or use Bitcoin or have access to it. But what happens in 10 years when an Android phone costs $5 and it now has the capabilities of a bank and you could apply it in these rural areas? So I think that's – you have to look at that longer-term vision and I think that's going to be extremely powerful.
1: And that's – you know, where we're headed with Lightning Network, Segregated Witness, all of our open source wallets, whether it's Bread Wallet or Airbits or Copay or all of these things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Copay now has the integration with Intel in the trusted execution environment, and there's uh, 400 million of those chips already in operation. Right. I mean, like, it's just staggering to think that pretty soon you're going to. Well, you already can have more security than you right. than from a bank, you right. know, and Absolutely. be managing and controlling your own money. you no longer have to be the slave. You can be the master with the root access.
2: Yes, exactly. Who's got root, <laughs> um, or who's got the keys to the money? Your keys, your money. Not your keys, not your money. And that's going to become, you know, a common understanding throughout the world that money is only yours. If you've Uh, got the keys. If you've got the keys. Before we said it's only money if you can touch it, right? And now it's only money if you control the keys. Then it's your money. That's a really big cultural shift. And that disintermediation of financial intermediaries, banks, and other organizations. These organizations are slow to innovate. They're expensive. And they're inefficient. And it's not... Just that they're evil Although that doesn't help That organizationally they become so big That they become amoral And then they're guided purely By their own interests Which are often contrary to the people uh, They support as customers It's that they're no longer necessary. It's much more pragmatic. It's, like, it's not. It's not kill the banks. It's like who cares? Just don't. Why, why Just use them? Why use them? Yeah. Exactly. And and it's like I remember a time when phone companies were evil, right? And uh, I remember a time when airlines were evil. Um, they still are a lot. Yes. <laughs> but not as bad as they were. <laughs> but they are. But, you know, for example, the national carriers, the airlines which had a flag on the on the tail, and you could only use those to travel into a country, they're no longer evil. They're obsolete. Yeah. They're just expensive husks that are being outcompeted by much cheaper regional carriers. You know, the, the giant telcos that could charge you $5 a minute to make a long-distance call across state lines – they can no longer charge you that. They're still evil. They're just less relevant in most people's lives. They don't have the power. So you know it's 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 not it's about you know this planned obsolescence of these industries, right? <laughs> it's time. It's time to do something better.
1: Thanks for listening to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. Our awesome audio editor needs to eat. He makes your experience better by increasing the sound quality and decreasing the show's time by editing out unnecessary ums, ahs, pauses, and such. With only a few seconds of your time, you can support the show. Do you ever buy stuff on Amazon? Before you do, simply visit bitcoin.kn forward slash resources. You can get there from the homepage and click on one of the links. It takes you to Amazon. Then at no additional cost to you, We get a tiny percentage of anything you purchase, even if it's not that particular item. These resources, they're all my favorite hacks that have increased my quality of life, so you might learn something helpful. They range from healthy snacks to sleep optimization, meditation tools, cognitive enhancers, immune system boosters, and much more. Maybe you'll find them useful. Either way, any support is greatly appreciated. Thanks, and now back to the show. Is this just kind of the cycle? You know, George Washington, I was at Mount Vernon. uh, He had a quote that, you know, when liberty takes root, it's a plant that grows very fast. We saw the decentralization of power during the Constitutional Revolution in the U.S. Uh, We saw the centralization of power with the Civil War. We saw the further centralization of power with World War II you know, each of these being fourth turnings of approximately 80 years apart from each other, now we're in another fourth turning. Has the pendulum just changed? Are we now moving not in the direction of further centralization of power, but, but actually moving back the other way where what is actually being successful is not people who seek for power, but those who seek to tear it down, those who seek to decentralize. Uh, everything. That's where the profitability is. That's where the market's rewarding effort and innovation. I mean, is that kind of what we're seeing now?
2: It's hard to tell. Unfortunately, these things are only visible in hindsight. And at the moment, I would say this is an ongoing struggle. It always has been, but we're at a particularly critical point at the moment. On the one hand, large supranational organizations large corporations, large federated states, etc., are kind of creaking under the inefficiency of their size, and they're fragile because of the inefficiency of their size. They simply cannot govern the extent of space that they occupy, the number of people, the diversity of people that they occupy. The diversity of economic activity. The diversity of economic activity, yes. The, The
1: technological change.
2: However, they've also amassed enormous power, enormous wealth, enormous control structures. And, you know, there are some days when decentralization is winning and there's other days when, you know, you look around and you think, holy shit, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. It's hard to tell. I think what's interesting is I think our world is still fragmented enough that we have a chance. But it's, it's not something to be taken lightly. People have to value liberty. They have to promote liberty. They have to educate liberty. And they have to treat liberty with respect where it exists. Because, you know, other people are more than ready to take away your liberty, your property, your power, if you let them. And we see that happening all the time, all over the world. So... I think I'm optimistic because I think that, that not only is there a lot more power in technology and it's accelerating, there's a lot more creativity in the broad, global, decentralized communities and it's accelerating. I think there's a lot more innovation. All of those things are great things. Don't take it for granted though. This is not going to be an easy outcome. This is going to be a, a big fight because a lot of... Power is being disrupted and it never yields, right? Power never yields voluntarily. And so it's it's something that we all have to think about and put effort into being creative, being innovative, feeding the systems that we think are give us liberty and removing our labor, our participation, our energy from the systems that, that don't.
1: Well, isn't that exactly how Martin Luther King really affected the change. You know, it wasn't the protests, it was the boycotts. Once you cut off that blood supply, you know, mm-hmm. literal blood supply, whether it's uh, your tax money or like whatever it is, you know, starve the the, the robbers, starve the, the people trying to take advantage of the slaves. That's how you really affect uh, change. Well, and how, I mean, how does that's Bitcoin the, help that's starve the, that's these the way problematic he, institutions?
2: It, it does, but the world is a very different place today. And the same techniques and tactics that work then don't necessarily work now. So for example, the, the U.S. economy is much more globally integrated now. If you boycott one of these large companies, they're going to seek other consumers in other countries. If you starve them of natural resources, they'll topple somebody else's government and take the resources they want. They'll enslave entire populations to extract, you know, rare earth metals or wherever the hell they need to build their gadgets nowadays. So the problem is because the world is a very big place and you have very large players like multinational corporations that can basically form shop. They don't need your tax money. They don't need your business in many cases. They don't need your resources. They can just go steal them from someone else. And so it's much harder because at the moment we've got this very strange situation where governments are claiming global jurisdictions, multinational corporations are applying global access and global reach and and human beings are still squabbling amongst each other about uh, which flag has the prettiest colors which imaginary line in the sand is most important which uh, fictional deity is more powerful than who else's fictional deity (laughs) we gotta get our shit together (laughs) right so i I think that, um, you know, as I said, the world is precarious, as always has been. And uh, a lot of things that work then don't work today. So we have to find new new methods, new techniques. Here we are. We're
1: doing it with Bitcoin. Right. Um, we're, we're doing it with these decentralized distributed networks. Looks like we've pretty much run through our time. We have to get to our dinner. Is there anything you'd like to... Uh, talk or, or address to the uh, the audience of thousands and thousands of listeners before, uh,
2: before we go? I think the most important thing is to try to objectively look at what's really important in the space, in Bitcoin, which is the technology. And try to uh, not be discouraged by a lot of the extraneous drama that's going on. In my mind, a lot of the drama is distracting from the real progress that's being made. If you look at Bitcoin from a technology perspective... Bitcoin has never been stronger than it is today. It's never been more diverse than it is today. The power has never been more distributed than it is today. The amount of innovation coming out of every part of the ecosystem has never been greater than it is today. The number of inventions, the amount of developers, the amount of code, the amount of wallets, exchanges, liquidity has never been better than it is today, and it's accelerating. And all too often, people can get caught up in the drama. And I do believe that a certain percentage of that drama is manufactured. To be divisive. To be divisive, uh, to be distracting, to be distracting, and history has taught us that in every grass mo- movement, grassroots movement, in every uh, disruptive human organization, there have been infiltrators and provocateurs and shitsters who are paid to do that, to just disrupt. I would be, it would be naive to assume that Bitcoin is the first one where that isn't happening, and so I think it's it's really important to not fall prey to in-group mentality and tribalist thinking and us versus them within the, within the Bitcoin ecosystem or even the broader cryptocurrency ecosystem and focus on what's really important, which is there's still out there a grossly corrupt giant financial system that is fragile, that is not serving the needs of people. Uh, there are billions of people who are still unbanked And, you know, they don't care about the petty squabbles of who insulted who and called the other person the wrong name. And, you know, all of that is minor and uh, And irrelevant irrelevant. in in the big scheme. What really matters is innovation. So keep innovating. Uh, keep looking for that innovation.
1: Keep adding value. Keep adding keep value developing. in
2: whatever way each person can add value. No matter what you do, you don't have to be a developer. You can add value in many other ways in this space. Use the technology every day for yourself. Teach others how to use the technology and keep working to make it better. You, know, so you can be a completely non-technical user. Use one of these wallets and, and deliver a beautifully written bug report when it crashes on you and you can improve the ecosystem. Everybody has a role to play. And if you keep focused on the amazing things that are happening in Bitcoin and ignore all of the drama, then you take back the enthusiasm. You reclaim the the power and the enthusiasm of this space and the drive to make better things for other people, and you don't let them steal it from you with all of this inane bullshit that's going on in the drama, which is just a distraction.
1: Well, there you heard it, Andreas Antonopoulos, uh, one of our luminaries, author of Mastering Bitcoin, giving us some great advice on how to make Bitcoin great again. (laughs) Thanks,
2: Andreas. Thank you.
0: Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin Guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn don't be shy. To help the show, share Bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise, spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.